0: Good morning, church. Uh, Let's read Matthew chapter 9. We'll pick up in verse 18, I believe. And we'll read down to verse 26. Matthew 9, verse 18. While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Imagine the tears in his eyes as he says that. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for twelve years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter, your faith is has made you well and the woman was made well from that hour when jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing he said to them make room for the girl is not dead but sleeping and they ridiculed him but when the crowd was put outside he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose and the report of this went out into all that land let's pray Father, I just pray this morning as we submit ourselves to you in your word, Lord, that you would quiet our minds from the thoughts that are running through them, from the worries, the cares, the affairs of what happened this morning or the news from last night or whatever situation has been uh, causing us anxiety or fear. And Lord, I pray that You would, by Your Spirit, grab hold of every neuron in our brains and focus them all in on You in expectation. Father, I pray that that Satan would not be able to blind our minds or poison our minds, but that we would love You with our mind. And this morning, Lord, we do desire to hear from You. You are beautiful beyond description. And I pray, Lord, that we would have a fresh vision of that beauty in our own lives. I pray that that would come as we read the scriptures this morning. In the volume of, of a book, it's been written of you. And it's in Jesus' name that we all say, Amen. Amen. i start off with a question this morning before any review. My question is this. What drove you to Christ? What was it? What, was it a certain circumstance was it a, a certain situation? Just think about it for a second. Was there something specific? Maybe it was a slow calling. that that Maybe like the Apostle Paul who was for years kicking against the goads. He was a student of the Bible. He knew the Word of God from the Old Testament, but he had resisted this Jesus character. Or maybe for you it was some tragedy. Or some family circumstance or some... Maybe you were at a funeral and the pastor's message spoke to you. Or maybe it was at a wedding and you were moved of a need for God in your life. What was it? Was there something specific that drove you to Christ? For me, it was simply a a heightened awareness of my sinfulness. It's amazing when God brings you face-to-face with yourself and the Spirit of God just convicts you that you are walking completely and utterly away from, from the life of God. And it was in that moment, just God drove, the Spirit of God drove me back to church and back to Christ ultimately. Well, the reason I asked that question about how it was and what it was that made you seek God is we meet two people today. And interestingly, they're like total opposites. One comes through a personal family tragedy to Christ, and the other comes through chronic illness to christ both come to christ and they have one thing in common other than coming to christ they both come in faith we've talked about that that's what gets highlighted Uh, the religious ceremonial devotions of the pharisees and and scribes are sort of overlooked and matter of fact uh, hypocritical but it's these people whether jew or gentile or woman or man it's these people that Matthew is parading in front of us as a parade of those that God accepts that God welcomes even though others even though the religious may condemn and so we see these two people coming one for personal tragedy, another for chronic illness. And when you're dealing with those things in your life, you know, we can come to church, and we put on a smiley face, and we, we can play the religious game if we want to. But when you have a crisis in your life, when you deal with chronic illness, when you deal with personal tragedy, all of a sudden, there's no more games. There's only real, raw emotion and need and desperation. And so we tend to look at the stories in the Bible as oh, it's good stories. That's how some that I know may look at them. Well, the Bible's a, a nice book. It tells good stories for our moral learning and wonder. These are real people, and as we as we discussed them this morning, I hope that I can help for you to see them as such, to see them in the reality of the life that they lived and what drove them to Christ. We just finished reading about Jesus uh, speaking to the, the Pharisees and the scribes about fasting. He had talked about not being able to put uh, new wine into old wineskins. We discussed that last week. And, and this is the very issue. The, those that were supposed to represent God had stopped representing God at that time and in and, and the way God wanted to be represented. If you've ever been misrepresented, you know how drastic that can be, how traumatic that can be when someone Represents you in a way that doesn't truly say who you are and they had misrepresented God they had condemned those that God meant to accept and to welcome And for Jesus to try to go in and fix that in the system that existed That was inflexible and unwilling and unable to embrace what Jesus brought grace It would have just caused stress And trouble and so Jesus has this thing called the church There are three types of people in the world according to the Bible There are Jews, there are Gentiles, which are non-Jews, and then there is the church. In Christ, there is neither slave, nor free, nor Jew, nor Gentile, nor male, nor female. And so we see today a male and a female, both coming to Christ. So, the question I'm asking as I get into this is, this is sort of a lengthy introduction, Uh, what does Matthew What does the Spirit of God want us to learn as we look at these people's lives? What do you think it is He wants us to learn? Well, let's look at the lives first, you might say. Well, maybe you've read ahead. Hopefully you do that. But I want you to be looking for something as we go through. I think the Spirit of God, through Matthew's writing, wants us to learn two things about God. He is both powerful and He is compassionate. And those two things must both exist. Because if they don't, if you have one without the other... It causes real trouble. Think about it for a second. What if a person has great power, but no compassion? He becomes, she becomes a dictator. Can wield that power, power in hurtful ways or destructive ways. Great power, but no compassion. That's a problem. But the opposite is also a problem. Great compassion, but powerless. I think about a Wednesday night we studied in Second Kings, the situation where uh, samaria was surrounded by the syrian army they had been uh, under siege and the city had been cut off and they couldn't get food in or out and so that's the the old way they did wars they would siege a city of the walls and the people would hunker down inside and, and until they starved to death and so it was a desperate desperate situation to the point where even the children that had died were were being eaten by the people that lived there it's a horrible story uh, but it happens when people are starving. They, get, they reach a point of desperation. And the king sees, he's walking on the wall, and he sees these people and what they're suffering from. And he says, who, you know, you can see the compassion, you can see the hurt as a leader, as a king uh, for his people, but unable, he says, who am I? Am I God that I can fix this situation? He was powerless to fix it. But we see both perfectly unified in christ in these passages he is both powerful and compassionate and you need to know that for your own life because some of you have learned about the power of god god's so powerful he wants to destroy you because you're a sinner and you, know, you can be taught the power of god or maybe you're more familiar with the compassion of god and well you, you know he cares but well he really can't help me because my situation is is too unique is too far gone it's too different so We see those things married together. I hope you see that as we go through. Let's look now at uh, verse 18. So while he is teaching these things about the wineskins and about the unshrunk cloth and the old garment, uh, people are come to him. A ruler comes to him. Now the highlight, that's where we're focusing. This ruler comes and worships him, saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So who is this guy? We don't know his name From Matthew, Luke tells us his name is, anybody know? Jairus. Jairus, his name means whom God enlightens. So when he was born, his parents had a dream for him that this would be a guy that God would enlighten. And he is the ruler, or a ruler, of the synagogue. The synagogues, of course, were local places of Jewish worship. And uh, the role of the ruler of the synagogue was sort of the head of the congregation. Maybe you'd say he was the senior pastor in some ways. He controlled the flow of the service. Uh, He would uh, appoint people to speak or to read in the service. And he would uh, judge over community disputes. He also was the one that cared for the scrolls. He would bring the scrolls out. The scrolls would be read. And then he'd put them away. So he had very important responsibilities in his community. He was a man who no doubt uh, loved God and and loved the things of God, the worship of God. And he had a daughter. And the unexpected, the tragic had happened. His daughter, who again Luke tells us was only 12 years old, had died or or was on the verge of death. She was so sick that that she might as well have been been dead. And... uh, and we see that tragedy can come to anyone's home. Tragedy is a great equalizer. Rich, poor, religious, non-religious. So tragedy comes to his home, and I want you to notice something. He comes to Jesus and he worships because, as we've been reading, we've been highlighting: oh, the leper, oh, the outcast, oh, the poor, the 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 you know all of these the the fringes and the the people on the outskirts, the condemned. And you might think, well, then I must be one of those if I can come to Jesus. And the point is, no. It's everybody, anybody who will come humbly in worship can come to Jesus. This guy, Jairus, he's not a fringe. He's respected. He's got important tasks and roles in the religious community. But yet even he comes to Jesus. You don't have to be ugly or Uneducated or leprous or any of those things to come to Christ. You can be intelligent, beautiful, devoted, all of those things. So he is desperate and he comes to Christ and he worships him. Verse 19, so Jesus arose and followed him and so did his disciples. And it's interesting that he doesn't, you remember the centurion? He had this faith. He said, oh, Jesus, you don't need to come to the house to lay hands. I know you can just speak the word. So rather than uh, blasting this guy for lack of of better faith, you know, well, you should have the faith as the centurion. He believed I didn't even have to come. He doesn't blast people for that stuff. He says, you know, I'll meet you where you are. If you believe that I need to come and and touch your daughter, then you know what? I'm going to come and touch your daughter. The centurion believed that all he had to speak was the word and that's what Jesus did. So, you know, sometimes we see Jesus, we see God as so condemning and so hard. And, and you know, it's, if it's not the right way and at the right time, and, and then, well, it's not going to work. And I hope you see through that. You see that Jesus deals with people right where they are. If, they're, if they have a minimal understanding of God and of Christ, then God will meet them there in their minimal understanding, in their small mustard seed faith. So he arose the disciples are going. Man, can't wait to see this. They follow along. And suddenly an interruption comes. Verse 20. Suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. It's a real come from behind kind of story. For she said to herself, if I love underdogs, by the way, um, for she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. So. We meet her. She comes to Christ through a chronic condition. We don't know exactly what the condition is. I think we make the assumption that this was a menstrual issue. Uh, In our medical terminology, we would call it abnormal uterine bleeding. Again, uh, Luke talks a lot more about this than does Matthew. Uh, You can read about that. We'll highlight some of that as we go through. Uh, First notice this, though. She was a woman. And I couldn't think i didn't read back thoroughly but i don't think we've seen a woman coming to christ in this way yet from matthew from matthew chapter eight to presently we've seen matthew heal peter's mother in law but he went to her she was sick but here we have we had the centurion we had the leper who could have been male or female we don't know uh and but now we have a woman and you have to understand as we read this that part of jewish morning devotion the jewish the morning devotion for a jewish man was he would say this to god Blessed are you for not making me a woman. Blessed are you for not having made me a Gentile. And blessed are you for not having made me a slave. And in the temple even, the women had the court of the women where they could come. There was the court of the Gentiles. And then inside of that, the next ring in was the court of the women. And then inside that, they could go no farther than inside that was the court uh, where the, the men and the priests could go. So there were these walls and these divisions that had taken place in, in the worship of God. And so the first thing she's guilty of, and I say that loosely, is that she's, she's a woman. So what will Jesus do? How will he react? But not only that, she's had this flow of blood for 12 years. 12 years! So medically, what caught, I mean, what's going on in her body medically? Probably a, a hormone imbalance. Possibly uh, fibroids or or polyps in her uterus uh, could be a coagulation disorder. We don't know what her specific diagnosis is, what has caused her to be in this condition. But we do know this, it's been going on for 12 years she's been bleeding. Now that would cause anemia, that would cause probably fatigue, iron deficiency, uh, and those are all the, the physical things. What about mentally? Anybody here dealt with chronic illness? It's, it's, it's emotionally fatiguing, tiring. You can easily become short with people, easily stressed, because you're in pain. Religiously, the flow of blood would have made her unclean. She wasn't welcome at worship because she would be in the same situation as during her monthly menstrual cycle. The woman would be unclean for a period of time, seven days, until there was no more blood flow. Uh... And because this was a constant, ongoing thing, you can read this in Leviticus 15, by the way. Leviticus 15:25 talks about this. Even the bed she lay in during her time of bleeding was unclean. So because this has been going on for 12 years, if she was married, then she would not be able to share a bed with her husband. If her husband had not already divorced her because of this. There's a, a documentary I would highly recommend if for those of you that have Netflix or like to watch documentaries. I don't know if you can get it in the video store, but it's called A Walk to Beautiful. And it doesn't deal with this specific issue, but it deals with women that, that have a, a chronic, um, what's called a fistula, and so they leak urine. This happens in Africa as a result of, of pregnancy. The women are too small. Uh, they're, they're married off very young, and because of malnutrition, they, they don't grow very much. Uh, an 18-year-old girl might look like a 13-year-old girl. And then they, they become pregnant, and their body is not able to give birth because the canals too small, the, the hips are too small. So they end up having tissue in their uh, uterus and bladder die. And so uh, the long story of this is that they end up leaking urine, and there's no help for them. They become outcasts. And when you watch that video, it will really give you a picture in your mind of what it would be like. To be that kind of social outcast. She, this woman in the video lives in a little lean-to on the side of her mom's house. Even her parents don't allow her in. And she smells. And she's got to take a bus then to get surgery for 24 hours or 22 hours. Something crazy like that. And, and just, you can't imagine. Those of you here can't imagine. Some of you maybe could imagine. How uh, this would have weighed on this woman's life. And how it would affect her. She couldn't be around her kids. She couldn't be in the place of worship now i'll also mention this luke lets us know that during those 12 years she's been to doctor after doctor after doctor after doctor and she has spent every penny she had to try to get healed and the doctors could not help her and so she hears about christ and and i think that she is like many of us and many that you know maybe some that you live with or in your family Some only come to Christ after all other resources have been exhausted. You will try anything and everything else. You will try pills. You'll try addictions. You'll try jail. Not on purpose, I hope. Uh, But sometimes, well, you know, some time in jail, that would be good for you. And after jail, certainly you'll get straightened up. And maybe counseling. Maybe you've developed some other. Maybe spending, filling your life with things or goods. And after none of those things work. After none of those things have healed or solved your chronic issue. Chronic fear. Whatever it might be. whatever whatever This is a woman with issues. Whatever issues are in your life. Once you've exhausted all your resources. Then maybe that's when you'll come to Christ. I think that's not an uncommon thing. Maybe some of you came to Christ that very way. So. She comes to Christ. She thinks thinks to herself. She says within herself, if only I can touch his garment. That's where faith starts, folks. Faith starts in your mind. It was the way she thought. You know, she didn't say within herself. We all talk to ourselves, don't we? Maybe you won't admit it. But we all have this talk inside of ourselves. Even David in the Psalms talks about, I said to myself, or I said within myself. uh, We all talk to ourselves. We all speak to ourselves in our mind. And then what you say to yourself is oftentimes what you act on. What you have convinced yourself is true. Well, she could have said to herself, it's been 12 years, there's no hope for me. She could have said to herself, I'm unclean, there's no way I can even approach Christ. I can't touch anybody. I can't be in the crowd. She could have said to herself, I'm a woman and Christ wouldn't want to deal with me anyway. All of these things she could have said. But in her mind, she believes thoroughly that if only she can get to Christ and just touch him. Now, the power is not in Jesus' garment. You know, he says in Luke, I felt power go out from me, not from my garment. The garment was just, she just thought if I could touch something that belonged to him, something that was connected with him. And the garment that's spoken of are the tassels that every Jewish man would have worn to remind him of, of the commandments and of his relationship with God. She said, if I can only touch one, there would be a blue thread going through the tassel. Again, you can read about that in Numbers chapter 15. If only may I, tu- I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around and, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. Again, we, we don't know some things. She's trying to be very secretive. She doesn't want to be noticed. She's unclean. Uh, who knows what her life's been like. She's trying to just, you know, she doesn't want to make a, make a show, get anybody's attention. If I just touch him and I can sneak off and I can be made well and no one will know. But when she touches him, Jesus says, hey, who touched me? I mean, not like that. Not like, hey, who's touching me? But like, whoa, whoa, there was something special. Someone touched me. And, and the disciples say, but Jesus, you're in a crowd. There's a multitude of people around you. Everybody's touching you. I mean, what do you mean somebody touched you? Everybody's touching you. There's a throng of people there. And he says, no, I felt power go out from me. And he calls this woman out. Read it in Luke. And he brings, she was trying to stay hidden. Jesus calls the attention to her. And he, and he says to her, not woman, not lady. He says to her, Daughter, daughter. And that is a word that for for you ladies out there that is so endearing to know that when Jesus looks at you, he says, daughter. And he says, daughter. And, And then we repeat basically what is said here. Be of good cheer, daughter. There it is here also. Your faith has made you well. We've marked Hebrews 11. If you would go there with me quickly. Hebrews 11. Because we keep noticing faith. Had she been to the temple? Had she made her sacrifices? We don't know if she had tithed. We don't know if she, she obviously hadn't been to synagogue. Nothing like that. He didn't say your devotion has made you well. He doesn't say your, your ceremonies have made you well. That's what I'm saying. Guys, when it gets to this point in your life, and for your friends, it's like when you get when you have friends or relatives, it's like we could do anything. We would just beg them, you know. It's like we would do anything to just get them to see you need Christ. Well, I've been going to some positive thinking seminars. I, I read the book The Secret, you know, and now I'm I'm positive thinking. And and I read a story that you know if you're if you're that we're, we're we can think ourselves to be certain things. And this article had said that you know the key if you're overweight the key to being losing weight is being around thin people and i thought boy this is just craziness just just got to get around thin people and you know you eat your food and you get around and all of a sudden you're going to be thin and maybe diet exercise that's all old hat i guess i don't know but there's this but we see here your faith has made you well we're in hebrews 11 look down at verse 5 the introduction, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. Enoch was sort of an early example of the rapture. If you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. Stick around for ten more years and we'll get there. Uh, Because we just did Thessalonians like two years ago. So, anyway. uh, So, Enoch had this, but before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. What will your testimony be? What will be on your tombstone? What will be the, the wording over your life? He pleased God. I, oh, I want that so bad. He pleased God. Not, you know, he, the, a lot of other things could be. But this is with a testimony that Enoch had. And then verse 6 says, but without faith. So evidently, Enoch had faith. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. Now listen carefully. For he who comes to God must believe That He is. Remember, Jehovah means I am. I am. The the always ever existent God. No one had to create God. He is by definition always existing. And you must believe that this is the God that we worship. If you're going to come to God, you must believe that He is. That He exists. That He's who He says He is. You can come to church all day long. But if you want to come to God, you must believe that He is. Not only that, but believe also that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him how? What's it say? Do, do all the, anybody have something besides diligently in a different version? Earnestly, diligently. He is a rewarder, folks, of those who diligently or earnestly seek Him. Would that be your description? Or it doesn't say And he's a rewarder of those who casually seek him. Who sort of think about him sometimes on the Sundays at 8 o'clock when I'm getting ready. I think, what am I going to wear to church? It is true. And this woman, go back with me to Matthew. Somehow she just knew that about him. He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So moving on back. So this was like a little, uh, little interruption in, in Jesus' uh, traveling. He's with Jairus and the disciples. And Jairus, through this whole thing, this whole interplay with the woman, is no doubt going, oh, come on, come on, my daughter. You know, we've got to get there. Come on, Jesus. We don't have time for interruptions. So finally, they get to the, the ruler of the synagogue's house. And when Jesus came into the house, and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, Make room, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. Even funerals had become ritualistic in their, in their religious culture. It was uh, the rule that if you had a death in the family, you would hire at least two flute players and one mourner. They had professional mourners. I guess other people didn't do it good enough. But it was, again, part of the outward, you know, their, their worship had become all outward. And so even at the time of death, they would hire professional mourners to come in and wail. And the more mourners you had, the richer, the wealthier you were. It's just like, a, you know, people today with a bigger funeral that you have or the more extravagant your, your casket might somehow speak to people of that you were a more notable or noteworthy in society. And and they had that, so you had a minimum of two flutes, and they'd play off-key, you know, it wasn't like they played beautiful. They played all these off-key notes, and the mourners were, oh, oh, wailing and mourning at the, at the house. And Jesus comes in, and he sees all this going on, knowing he has power over death. And he says, hey, she's not dead, she's sleeping. What a ridiculous statement. I mean, they had already called for the funeral had begun. I mean, picture that. The funeral begins, and here I am, the pastor Steve. I go into the funeral and go, ah, that person's not dead. They're just sleeping. They would look at me like I had 16 hands. I mean, what are you talking about? You are crazy. Get out of here. And so when Jesus says that, what do they do? They laughed him to scorn. Laughed him to scorn. It seemed Insensitive. I think, I mean if you were Jairus, well maybe maybe Jairus was hopeful, but the other people, I mean that could seem really like an insensitive statement. So when Jesus got mocked, do you think it deterred him? When he got ridiculed, do you think he had oh, he got deterred or do you think he developed a complex or low self-esteem? Oh, they're mocking me. I can't I can't go in there. I can't go back. I got to go back. I got to leave. I mean is he deterred? is not the last time he'll be mocked. He'll get mocked on the cross. The soldiers will mock him. The crowds will mock him. Even a thief who's on the cross next to him will mock him. Oh, if you're the Messiah, if you're the Savior, why you've saved others, why can't you save yourself? And the song we sing, Behold, I heard my mocking voice. You ever been mocked because of your beliefs? Maybe some of you that are in school or in a in a running in a, a educated clou- crowd where people profess to be wise but are foolish and maybe some have mocked you maybe you've you've accepted Christ and you really you're trusting Christ is going to heal you from whatever it is that's going on from the death in your life from the dead things that have been part of your life and other people remember misery loves company do you how many of you understand what i'm saying misery loves company and so when you start to heal There are people in your life that don't want you to heal because when you heal, it puts a magnifying glass on their sick. And they want to feel good about their sick and they feel better about their sick when you're sick too and we're all sick together. Aren't we miserable together? We're miserable. We're we're, we're miserable together. So when you accept Christ, the natural reaction for those that don't want to see you do well. Or they'll coddle you. Oh, you poor thing. It's a crutch. So they mock him, but he's not deterred. He doesn't go under counseling. He doesn't develop low self-esteem. He puts them out. He puts them out. It says, when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand. So what do you do with people that mock you? You put them on the outside. Don't keep them as part of your in crowd. Don't keep them as part of your close association. They're not doing you any good. And your healing will be disrupted by their mocking. So please, listen to me when I tell you, bad company corrupts good morals. And be careful how you choose your friends. Because you will become like them. The, Psalm 1 says that we don't sit in the seat of the scornful or you know, hanging out with scoffers. And I'm not quoting that directly, but you know Psalm 1. You can go home and read it. Don't hang out with the scornful or the mockers. So put those people in your life outside and envelop yourself with other folks that believe what you believe that trust the lord that have faith so he puts them out he went in took her by the hand and the girl arose and the report of this went out into all that land no doubt when when jesus does this kind of thing man people hear about it he doesn't do it every time there are those that have chronic illness that, uh, like Paul, his thorn in the flesh. So you may say, yeah, I understand this God of power and compassion, but I ain't seen it in my life. Sometimes it's the power of the grace of God that Paul learned. When he had the thorn, this, this issue in his life, uh, whether it was his eyes or whatever it was that was bugging him, he said, I prayed three times that God would remove it. And, and Paul learned a lesson about the grace of God, my grace is sufficient. For my power, my strength is made perfect in weakness. We don't want to be weak. So sometimes God heals that way. Sometimes He doesn't. Sometimes it's just not yet. Sometimes it's 12 years from now. You just don't know what the timing is going to be where Christ is going to step in and heal. Without faith it's impossible to please God. And those who come to Him must believe that He is. And remember this, that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. He is both powerful and compassionate. Let's pray. Father, again, we uh, just pray that through the the confusion of the morning, Lord, you would somehow minister these words into our souls. For those of us that are uh, questioning your power, questioning your compassion, or uh, seeking you half-heartedly, Father, I pray your spirit would, would move us. Not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. By my spirit, saith the Lord. Father, we again pray for that woman who is uh, going out of here on a gurney. Lord, we pray that this may be one of those situations, uh, just as we even began this morning talking what makes us come to Christ. That maybe there's someone in her family or a friend or someone that uh, a doctor that somehow needs Christ, and Lord, you may use an, an unwilling vessel to reach out to, um, to someone who uh, needs you in their life, Lord. So we pray for her in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Let's sing, Jesus, draw me close. Closer, Lord, to you. We can stand together as we sing that. Jesus, draw me close. Closer, Lord, to you. sir lord to God will grow your faith this week as you seek him diligently with all your heart. Amen. You may be dismissed.